All right, let's get to the word. Um, Open up to Matthew 13. If you need a Bible, the folks will be walking down the aisles. Raise your hand. They'll give you a Bible. Matthew 13. I'll get through this message in time for you to get to wherever it is you want to be. Matthew 13. We're going through the book of Matthew. Uh, Back there, there's a hand. Before I have a stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, I wanted to share this with you to put it into perspective. The ladies whose testimonies you heard, the reality is they came to a place where uh, they came under the authority of Christ. They were under the authority of a thousand other small gods, small G. And uh, we saw what happened to their lives apart from the Lord. Teen challenge requires that you submit and you have to put your pride aside. And pride was the very first sin in the Garden of Eden. It was actually the first sin with Satan. I want to be like the most high. And uh, you want to call the shots. And you have to come under that authority. And um, it was Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, who said, this is, this is the purpose of man. So please pay attention, because these are the greatest words ever written, the wisest man who ever lived. He said, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. We live in a world that doesn't honor the commandments of God. Most churches don't teach out of Leviticus or Deuteronomy. We don't know the Ten Commandments. Our culture is secular. We're moving away from God infusing our community and our culture and the first sin in the Garden of Eden was questioning God's authority, and that's what we do today. And all of those girls have tested God's authority and found themselves in train wrecks. And we look at society today, and it's out of control. And it's all because we've walked away from the authority of the Lord, and this is the great problem within the world. Genesis one twenty six at the beginning, and Genesis means beginning, in the very first chapter, God said, let us make man, Elohim, which is singular plurality, it's a picture of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have, and listen to this word, dominion. Everyone say dominion. Dominion, dominion means authority. When we're submitted to God, he gives us authority over the earth. And he says, let, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth. We have dominion over the earth. And, and in this picture, God establishes that, that he wants to establish his presence on the earth, and he does that through his commandments. And man is governed by the Lord, and we are to do this in accordance with what he calls. And then finally, before I have you stand, I want to read out of Matthew chapter 6. And this is the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done where? On earth, as it is in heaven. His kingdom, that dominion, is what he desires on this earth. And so today we're going to take a look at a parable. Parable is where you get the word parallel lines, parabolos, two lines that run next to each other. And what God does with a parable is he takes an earthly truth, or excuse me, a heavenly truth and puts it alongside an earthly story so that we can comprehend it. And he spoke to people in parables so they'd understand it. And here he begins to teach in parables. Now to some, parables are confusing, but to the disciples, they understood it. And those who were confused, he said, why do you teach in parables? And he's going to explain that in the passage. So with that, please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and a great multitude were gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and he sowed some seed that fell by the wayside, and birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had not no root, they withered away. 
Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then Jesus says, this is the purpose of the parables. The disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For for whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do the uh, nor do they... nor do they understand like the passage that I just lost. Let me have your verse there. Thanks. Somebody stole it. What, what is this? I need glasses. What are you? I Seriously, I can't read this. Does anyone have big print? Oh, bless you, my brother. Where, where is it? Uh, verse 14. There we go. Uh, Therefore, I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them, the prophecies of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the heart of this people has grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their heart and turn so that I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For surely I say to you that many prophets uh, prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and do not see it, and to hear what you hear and do not hear it. Therefore hear the parables of the sower, and he explains it. I'm almost finished. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what is sown in his heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. But he who receives the seed on the stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives the seed... On the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. And so I'm going to stop with that parable. Thank you so much for that. And let's pray. Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word. I pray, God, that you would pour into our lives this day a complete understanding of what this parable means, that we would receive it and honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that we studied earlier, he said, do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from this law till all has been fulfilled. And so when we see this passage of scripture, he says, whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does teach them He shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. One of the things we're missing in our culture today is uh, is easy believism. We think that Christianity and the gospel consists of understanding the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and believing that we've been saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we raise our hand to receive the Lord, and we think that that does it. We got our get-out-of-hell free card, and we just kind of go about our life trying to do the best we can. And we think that the parable of the sowers, and especially taught today in the church, is the idea that the gospel's being preached. 
right? And as the farmer's throwing the seed, the earth is waiting to receive the word of God. His word doesn't return void and it's thrown out. In the center portion of the field is the pathway in which everyone walks. And when the seed lands there, the birds immediately come down because it takes no root. It's hard ground and they come and they snatch it and eat it. And that represents the devil. Others, it's, it's sprinkled and the ground hasn't been plowed, so it's shallow and has stones and there's only a little bit of soil. And it lands in the soil and it's fruitful, but it doesn't have depth to make those roots. And so when the trials come, it withers and fades and dies. Some of it falls into ground that has depth of soil, but next to it are all these weeds that, that rise up and those weeds are the cares of the world. And the word for care is this idea that things that pull us in different directions that's the idea in the Greek. It pulls us in different directions and competes for our affection. And so we get lost in running after the, the, rab, the, the carrot on the stick and the baubles and the trinkets of the world. And, and we serve another master. We serve things instead of the Lord. But some of the seed falls on fertile soil and it produces 160 and 30 fold return. And you look at that and you say, well, that's, that's the gospel. Well, if it's the gospel, it means only 25% of the earth is going to be saved. And I don't believe that this pertains to the gospel in any way, shape, or form because Jesus is going through the authority of his will on the earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when that soil is, or when that seed is scattered, his word goes forth. It is supposed to grab roots in the deepest of culture. And, and pietism has permeated the Christian church since the 17th century. Our founders weren't pietists. Our founders were what what they did, they did applied theonomy, where they believed that the word of God was applicable to every aspect of culture. These seven mountains of cultural influence that we've studied, where you have arts and entertainment, you have media, you have business, and you heard that amazing uh, sermon by Pastor Mark on business, and you see that God's word is supposed to permeate every aspect of culture and take root in every area to affect man. And what happens is, if God's word doesn't permeate the culture, you're going to have train wrecks, and you've seen testimony after testimony of these ladies whose lives have been train wrecks because the culture doesn't reflect Christ. And as a result, they're, they're, the families are breaking down. Lives are imploding. Pietism is a simple idea that, that Christianity is supposed to be personal. It teaches that Christianity should be purely private matter and that God's law has no place in the governance of nations. It always tells us that we are wasting our time when it comes to being involved in seeing that good laws are established in our nation. And they mock people that, that want to do that as people who are moralizing. This is pietism. Pietism is uh, an example would be if someone becomes involved in trying to pass a law against abortion, the pietist immediately objects and says that is an utter waste of time. Women are not saved by not having abortions, but by hearing the gospel when we should preach the gospel but what the pietists, they, they sound spiritual when they say that, but in reality, it works against the position they have because it, promote, it, it, it stops that people from coming to Christ because it promotes lawlessness, as you can see in the lives of these kids or these ladies. So three things about this is, one, the law of God should be honored among men. The word of God should be honored among men. And one way it is honored is that it is reflected in the laws of a nation. The preborn should be protected from murder and unjust death. People who are involved in abortion are more apt to see their guilt and their need for Christ if the laws of the nation do reflect the law and justice of God. If we want to see men and women one for Christ, but the pietist position actually hinders what it, what it is they desire. They want to see men and women one to Christ, and I, I, I commend that. 
but it actually hinders, their position actually hinders what they desire, wanting to see men and women one to Christ. Good laws help men and women see their need for Christ because the Bible says that the law is a schoolmaster to drive people to Christ, but bad laws help men ignore uh, the justice of God and justify their sin. As some of the ladies had said, I want to go live with my grandma, and I can justify that. When magistrates, the Supreme Court and others, when magistrates make laws contrary to the law of God, it hinders people from clearly seeing their sin and guilt and hence their need for Christ and his mercy. And the pietist movement started in the 17th century and it was promoted by kings because the divine right of kings, they didn't want a constitutional republic. They didn't want civil government. They wanted to rule over men and have men serve them. And so they promoted pietists and put them in high positions of authority especially in the seminaries. And it took root in America till today. Pietism is a preeminent focus of mankind and especially the church in America. So thoroughly have statists, these are people that believe the state is the, 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 the authority that routed Christian thought that most Christians now view the idea that Christ and his kingdom should impact the nation of the earth as completely foreign idea or worse, heretical. And I get that all the time because I'm involved in politics. That's heretical. You shouldn't be doing it. You should be about the gospel. I hear that all the time, the gospel, the gospel. Well, th- applied theonomy is the gospel affects everything. And, 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 and if you're just looking at it only affecting those who are going to be saved, it falls on fertile soil. Well, that's 25% of everything we've talked about in Matthew 13. How do you make the hard ground, the shallow ground, the weed choke ground like the fertile ground? One thing, you plow it. And you know what plowing requires? Hard work. You got to get in there and dig and turn the soil and remove the boulders so that everyone has an opportunity to flourish. Most of these ladies are from inner city realms that, that, that they, were, they were choked and abandoned and abused before they could ever take root. Because we've allowed a culture to exist without God's word being the supreme authority over the land. There's not dominion of his word. We, we practice Christianity internally, but we don't apply it to the culture. And God's calling men and women who are moved by his word to plow the field. Get involved in culture. Plow the field. Give these ladies an opportunity. In Fresno, where you heard a number of these women speak, especially first service, I was in Fresno. It had the highest murder rate, highest car theft rate. It was a city imploding in the early 90s. And it was only when the church and the state got together and said, we have got to do something else. And we applied God's word to the state. And you had Jim Patterson, who was the mayor, who was a believer. You had Ed, Ed McGarrian, who was the sheriff of Fresno County. You had Ed Noble, who was the chief of police. And, and you had Pete Mijas, who was the superintendent of schools. And we got together and said, let's do this together and plow that field so that these folks can have something to survive with and be connected to that law, that commandment that brings fruitfulness. Because this is the chief aim of man is to honor the commandments of God. And when we applied that in Fresno, we had the highest crime rate drop of any city its size in FBI statistic history. And by 1997, it became America's finest city. Uh, divest themselves from engaging in the culture because to do that, it's conflict and it's hard work. You got to lift boulders. You got to engage in in school board meetings. You got to go to these things and participate. And we don't like conflict. We want easy believism and we want to be like a twig on the banks of a mighty river and go with the flow as, as we're, we're in a postmodern culture and, and Christianity's declining because evil is going to do everything it can to have dominion on the earth. And God is saying, we have dominion. We're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And our mindset is, well, the rapture's coming, the world's going to hell in a handbag, and I'm just going to go. That's not in scripture. Jesus said, occupy until I come. Make a difference in the world in which you live. And so when we see these things and we see pietism invading the church today, it's fascinating to me that the truth of of scripture is this. 
and it makes clear that his word and his kingdom are to impact the nations of the earth. His law, word, and gospel are intended to impact all the nations of the earth. Here's some scriptures. This is why Jesus said in, in Mark eleven seventeen, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. His final command was go therefore and make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28. Paul said in his ministry in Romans 1, 5, for obedience to the faith among all nations. This is why Christ is declared by John to be the ruler over the kings of the earth, Revelation 1, 5. Contextually, this was declared to be so when John wrote it, not to be applied off in the sweet by and by. Paul says of Christ, who is, he says in, in 1 Timothy 6.15, who is the blessed and only ruler, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Paul uses the present tense as there won't be any kings or lords in heaven. Psalm 2, a messianic psalm, the foretelling of Christ. Uh, the father says to his son in verse 8, ask me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. Matthew Henry, in reflecting on Matthew 28 in his commentary, he said, the principal intention of this commission to, go into, to, to make disciples of all nations, Matthew Henry says, the principal intention of this commission is to disciple all nations. Do your utmost to make the nations Christian nations. The soil has to be plowed. There's work to be done. The gospel isn't to be segmented. Theonomy, applied theonomy means the gospel is in every nook and cranny. It plows the field so that these ladies can have a place to flourish. And what happens is when you land in fruitful soil and your roots can go down and grasp the earth and make a difference, you produce a fruit, uh, you produce fruit 160, 30 fold. And what happens is you come out of that lifestyle and now you have the ability to feed others and lead them to the source of Christ who, who is the bread of life. And all these women now are no longer ministries, they're ministers, and they're giving, and they gave to you today. And this is where you start to feed a dying and hungry world with the bread of life, which is Jesus Christ, because your life has been transformed, and you step into culture, and you make a difference. Every one of them is going to go back to their hometown and make a difference. But to be pietistic is, is easy believism. And God commands us to make a difference on the earth. Plow the field, dig up the stone, dig it up so that everyone has a place to flourish. And as we've removed the word of God from schools and we've removed the word of God from our culture and our vernacular, our founders were, were, were those that, that practice applied theonomy. They believed that the gospel should encompass every aspect. That's how they gave us a constitutional republic. And, they, they, and, and John Adams said, only a constitutional republic can survive with a moral and Christian people. And we don't even know the Constitution. We don't even know the amendments of the Constitution. We have no clue as how to engage and make a difference in the world. We don't know who our school board members are, our council members are, our supervisors are. We don't know these things. We don't sit back and go, oh, the world's going to hell in a handbag. Get out there and plow the field. Make it so that when these seeds, and especially little children, they have a place to flourish. I just had a granddaughter born. Her name's Liberty Stevens. Yeah, she's cute. Liberty's adorable. And I didn't call for her name. My daughter did. And the Apostle Paul says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty for which Christ has set you free. The cry of all men is liberty. And we have been called to set the captives free. They'll know the truth, and the truth will set them free. Throw the seed, prepare the soil, throw the seed, prepare the soil, throw the seed, prepare the soil, throw the seed. And I'm almost finished. I want to show you some slides. Because one of the things I find as I step into this world of contending with pietism and calling men and women of Christ to plow the field and scatter the seed is people respond 
they respond because to confront evil with truth, there's going to be conflict. I'm not talking about a theocracy. When his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, it doesn't mean that everyone's saved. It means that everyone has the ability to find fruitful soil because we've plowed the ground. And these precepts of the Lord, where do we get thou shall not steal, thou shall not murder, honor thy mother and father? These are commandments. We don't just get our get out of hell free card. We apply these truths so that people will have fertile soil to be fruitful and survive. You saw the broken families. The status, those who believe that the state is the ultimate and supreme authority and give credence to the state without looking at the laws that the state enacts and saying that, well, God appoints all positions of authority, so you know we're just gonna save people and then ultimately maybe something will change. That's not it. God says, he says, he says, occupy. You're more than conquerors. It's not this, you know, I'm going to get raptured and give it up. There's people whose lives need to be touched and we have communities that need to be affected and principles that need to be established according to the will of God so that people's lives can be fruitful. Plow the soil and scatter the seed. But one of the things I get every single time when I preach this, especially from Christendom, is Romans 13. Let me pull it up on the screen. Do you guys have it? Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. And a pietist says, see, there's nothing you can do about it. God appoints all authorities so we might as well just go about our daily business and we don't really have to get involved in government. God, it's gonna take care of itself. Well, wait a minute. Verse two, therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. And many pietists say that our founders were in rebellion to, to God because they rebelled from England. Well, they rebelled for a reason. The king had no right to rule the way he did because he was in violation of the precepts of God. No man is to be enslaved to a king. That wasn't God's principle. Divine right of kings is not existent in the scriptures. What about King David? What about King Saul? What about King Solomon? Yeah, what about 1 Samuel chapter 8 when God said, they don't hate you, Samuel, they hate me, and tell them what will happen to them when they get a king. They don't want a king. I gave a government back in Exodus 18, 21 that says, appoint godly men who, who love the truth and fear God who, who hate covetousness and appoint them over tens and fifties and hundreds and thousands. That's where you get local and you get county and you get state and federal government. Isaiah 33, 12, or 33, 22, which says, God is our judge. God is our king. God is our lawgiver. That's where our founders got the three branches of government, executive, legislative, and judicial branches. These were our founders. They were applied theonomous and they said, this has to happen. This is, this is a government unlike anything on the face of the earth. They were plowing the ground and making it fertile and scattering the seeds so that you today and I could enjoy the freedom. You'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. That's liberty, doing what's right and applying these truths in culture so that they don't have to be raised in broken homes. And the status wants to destroy the family so they can have control over the people. It goes on in verse three, for rulers are not a terror to what? Good. Everyone say good. good. And then it contrasts it, but to evil. So right there in the text, good and evil, good and evil, assuming that the authorities are good and they fight evil, that, that text will apply. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same, but he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on those who practice evil, evil, good, evil, good. God contrasts the governments so that we understand that. Go to the next one, if you would. 
This is John Knox, who was a Calvinist, who brought about the, the Protestant Reformation in Scotland that gave us the Scottish Covenanters. 70% of the Revolutionary War generals were Scottish Covenanters. The freedom you enjoy is because of the wi- wisdom of John Knox. And for those of you who are neo-Calvinists, those of you who are Calvinists, I want you to see one of your, your primary guys. He said, for now the common song of all men is we must obey our kings, be they good or be they bad, for God is so commanded. And today in America, most Americans respond this way, and even neo-Calvinists and others. But the problem is, John Knox didn't finish with that statement. He goes on, look at the next slide. He says, true it is, God has commanded kings to be obeyed, but likewise true it is that in things which they commit against his glory, he has commanded no obedience. And so this upstart group of colonies took on the greatest empire on the face of the earth that had just beaten the second largest empire. And every founder, if you read their biographies and you read their writings, they realized that it was divine providence that interceded because they stood upon the precepts and commands of God. And you today are in fruitful soil to enjoy the greatest liberty any nation in the history of the world has ever enjoyed because they plowed the ground and they made it fruitful. And we're watching today as families are being decimated because we don't teach his precepts and apply them in our schools, apply them in our seats of government and apply them in our entertainment realm. Look at the next slide. This is called the Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrate. It was the uh, Magdeburg Confession in 1550 and it moved the Protestant Reformation. And at that time, before the Protestant Reformation, every government on the face of the earth was a monarchy. Every man worked so that they could keep the king fed. And the, and the king survived on the sweat of someone else's labor. And God said, no, we've been created in the image of God. We're, we're, we're created equal. All men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. And so they came up with this idea that this is unjust. And the king would come and use the judiciary that he was in control of to go and take your land at his will and his pleasure. And our founder said, that's unacceptable. And so this was called the doctrine of the lesser magistrate. When the higher ranking civil authority makes unjust or moral law, policies or court rulings, the lower or lesser ranking civil authority has both the right and the duty to interpose. That means get in between, get in between the aggressor and the victim. That's what we're called to do. Come on up here. Carly, come here. Ken, get up. Ken's the aggressor. Carly's the victim. This is interpose over my dead body. You're not touching her. Not that you would. I know you. You're a good man. (laughs) This is an interpose. We're commanded to do this at the lowest level. Where we see an injustice, God commands us to stand in the way of that, regardless of what the higher authority says. We go to a higher authority. That's the Lord. This is unacceptable. You don't just take it because the government says. You stand in the way of the victim. Thank you. Good examples. Well done. (laughs) This is the idea of the doctrine of the lesser magistrate. Not only is it necessary, the lower magistrate may actively resist superior authority, but, but the scripture points out very clearly that we have authority and we must do this. Now let's go to the next slide. Every good state is, those who think the state is our supreme authority, in order to strengthen the state, you have to weaken the family. Everybody's dependent on the state. So they give you welfare, and they give you all kinds of things, and you go out for your dole, and the family breaks apart because the Bible says you don't work, you don't eat, and then the man loses his, his understanding because the Lord gives us, as we studied last week with Pastor Mark, uh, work is worship, and now we're not working, and now we lose our identity, and everything falls apart, and the family implodes, and you see the, the consequences, the train wreck. 
until the authority of the Lord comes in. Roman Emperor Trajan said this. He pulled out his sword in front of his men. He says, use this sword against my enemies if I do righteously. But if I, if I don't, use it against me. He was applying as a pagan the doctrine of the lesser magistrate. Go to the next slide. I'm almost finished. Proverbs 24. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Deliver those who are drawn towards death and hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, surely we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart consider it? He who keeps your soul, does he not know it? And will he not render to each man according to his deeds? We have to interpose ourselves for those who are being drawn towards death. Most of these women were saved by a police officer who interceded, as you saw some of the testimonies. Natasha's life was, was uh, we interposed into her life. Everyone has somebody that stepped in and saved them. And this is a commandment of God in Proverbs 24 that we have to stop them from going to the slaughter. Their lives are a train wreck until someone stepped in and brought them liberty through Christ. You'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. I'm almost finished. Next slide. In America in the 1860s, a Negro was not considered a human being. And Josiah Wedgwood, who Wedgwood China, if you like that, he's the one who put together this iconic picture that transformed America and was very profound in the abolitionist movement, the abolition of slavery. And he says, am I not a man and a brother? And it started to change the heart because the best way the status can do it is say, you're not a human being. That's why we have the right to suppress you. And based on the color of your skin and not the content of your character, we are going to use you as slaves. And it was, it was those who said, uh-uh, the doctrine of the lesser magistrate, I don't care if the Supreme Court said that's legal. I'm stepping in the way over my dead body. Publius Petronius was, uh, was the, the governor of Palestine. And Caligula said to him, I want you to put a statue of me so that they worship in the temple in Jerusalem. And Publius Petronius went to the rabbis and he said, I'm putting this up. And they said, please don't. This is, we, we worship one God. You can't do this. It's a violation of everything we believe. It's a violation of the laws of God. Publius Petronius said, look, I like my life and I don't want Caligula killing me. And as he put this together and mustered 12,000 Roman soldiers to go and place the statue in the temple, 10,000 Jews laid down in front of the temple. And Publius Petronius was a good man. And he looked and he said, you don't understand what you're doing. I have to enact this. And the Jews said, we're not going to kill you, but you're going to have to kill us before you do it. And some of you hear the shot heard round the world in Lexington and Concord. That was Jonas Clark, who was a pastor who had trained his, his congregants to fight. And when they came to suppress and take away, they interposed themselves and they said, do not fire unless fired upon. And when that shot was fired by the British, that's why it said it was a shot heard round the world because that was the first exercise of liberty to interpose themselves on behalf of mankind to give you the constitutional republic you have today. Today in America, the Supreme Court says that that is not a human being. It's a fetus and not a being, not a human being. Where are those who will interpose? Where is the, where's the doctrine of the lesser magistrate? How are we going to plow the field that that child can take root on this earth and know the truth that the truth would set them free? Where are we today? 3,500 of those today are being killed. Those babies. Let's go to the next slide. This is, I have three more slides. I'm almost finished. You get to go to lunch. And, and don't be uptight because I have to start moving my house in 30 hours and it starts at two o'clock. So I've got a full day too. This is a picture 
of, uh, I'll read it to you, defying the boundaries of biology, sanity, and common sense, the Daily Meter, uh, Mirror and CNN recently reported on married couples in Portland, Oregon, touting gay dads are pregnant with their first biological child. This is their incredible story. The article states that two gay dads, Biff Chaplow and Tristan Reese, are expecting their first biological child this summer, as CNN reported as well. And they said that the story's factual. The truth is, no man is having a child this summer, or ever. And the two people mentioned are neither both men nor both gay. The allegedly gay man, Biff, is married to Tristan, a biological woman who claims she is a man. Because it is biologically impossible for a woman to also be a man, and because Reese wants to appear to be a man, she has been taking the male hormone testosterone to grow facial hair and change the sound of her voice. But because testosterone is a male hormone and Reese is a woman... She cannot biologically conceive a child while pretending to be a man. To summarize, the most basic biological fact about conception, a male sperm and a female egg, must both come from a male and female organism of the same species in order to sexually reproduce. A male owl, for example, cannot conceive and hatch baby owls with another male owl. Nor can a male toad reproduce tadpoles with a male walrus. Nor can a birch tree grow from a seed germinated by rose pollen. Among homo sapiens, a female egg cannot be released or fertilized if female hormones are suppressed or replaced with male hormones. In order for Biff and Tristan to become biologically pregnant, Tristan had to stop taking testosterone because only she, as a woman, can conceive and carry a child. If the man in this couple is pregnant, as these outlets report, he would be Biff, not Tristan. But Biff, and no man can ever be pregnant, no male anatomy or reproductive organs, including a womb, fallopian tubes, ovary, etc., no man has that and possesses it. But on their website, Tristan wrote that for her, being transgender meant, for me, just transitioning, transitioning normally, taking testosterone so that I have a beard and my voice is deep as it, it, it's, 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 uh, and my voice is deep as it's ever going to get and appear like a man, that's enough for me. I never felt that I needed to change my body. The only truthful person in this entire article is Tristan. She's, she's basically saying, I, I don't want to go through the whole process and lose my internal organs to follow through. I, I have struggles, no doubt. And, and I know there's transgender in the, in the congregation. I would just simply say, you're probably some of the bravest people in the room because all of us have to deal with, with our dysfunctions and they're here. And one of the things is we want to judge them. But the reality is this person is clearly stating, I, I don't want to go that far. But the newspaper wants to make it out to be something it isn't. Change from what exactly? The fact that she is a woman, not a man. Even Tristan acknowledges that she is not a man. The order of the species cannot simply change or tr transition because one thinks it can. Furthermore, if Biff really is a gay man, he is married to and having physical relations with a woman, not a man. So he's lying too. Here's the truth. A woman who knows she's a woman but claims to be a man is either lying or struggling mentally. A man who claims to be a homosexual but is instead knowingly having relations with a woman is either lying or struggling mentally. Any organization purporting this heterosexual couple is transgender or as two gay men only perpetuates harm to people who are very much in need of medical help. The reasoning, I think therefore I am, does not change reality. is only evidence the faultiness of a person's thinking which must be corrected for their own and society's benefit. And the church doesn't want to do anything about it because we're going to get hammered. But God's called us to plow the soil and stand for truth so that these people, it's, it's destroying them. Let me show you how it works. If a person thinks he or she is worthless and therefore must kill himself or herself, should we then support suicide because they feel like they're worthless? 
If a 70-pound, 30-year-old woman thinks she is obese when she's only 50 pounds underweight and experiencing heart failure, should medical doctors encourage her to take her feeding tube out and tell her, yeah, you are large because you believe that you're large, so anorexia is okay. It's, it's a mental struggle. And it's, it, we've created the monster and we decry its existence because the family's broken down because we don't interact with, with culture. We don't spread the word. We don't cultivate the soil and spread the word. Or a teenager who walks her giraffe and insists it's real um, even though no one else can see it. Do we go, oh no, I see it. The emperor has no clothes. Somebody has to tell them. Oh, but you don't understand. I'll get, I'll get picked on. So what? We don't, we, we, we don't watch as the walls of Christians. We, we're more than conquerors. Plow the field. Bless these people. Protect them. This is the consequence of not doing it until they've come to Christ. Almost finished. No scientist, biologist, medical professional will ever affirm that a woman who thinks she is a man is actually a man and is a man biologically capable of conceiving and giving birth to a child. Nobody's going to say that. To perpetuate falsehood only harms people in serious need of psychological, emotional, and mental health. Help. If such organizations continue to promote falsehood as fact, one has to question their motive and ask why their sponsors and advertisers are funding programs that deliberately harm people. But where's the church? And then let's go to the next slide. Tell me that's not a baby. Tell me that's not a baby. Yet legally, the United States Supreme Court says that that does not have personhood. That's not a human being. And 3,500 of them a day are destroyed, killed, murdered. Yeah, I said it. I'm not here to bring judgment. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I've been affected by abortion, I know the pain. I'm not here to bring condemnation. I'm here to have you see that this has to stop. We've all been hurt by it, no doubt. Please understand that. My family's been affected by it. That's not my point. My point is that all of us who have been saved by grace through faith would say that child has the right to have roots on this earth and I'm gonna plow that field and let that baby live. I'll tell you the easy thing is, don't fight it. When they fought in opposition to the abolition of slavery, 650,000 people died on a field of battle because the lesser magistrate stood and said, the Supreme Court issue is unacceptable. You're not going to enslave another human being. Where's the Christians today? The church is pietistic. We don't want to engage. We don't want to plow the field. We got our get out of hell free card and we watch his families implode. But you've seen the power of Christ and what he can do. Every one of those women would say, Pastor Rob, congregation at Calvary Chapel, God speak, do it, please, please. In a moment, I'm gonna show you a very, very graphic slide. I'm gonna count down from 10. It's very graphic. And for those of you who struggle with pictures of abortion, I'd encourage you not to look. But for those of you who want to have your heart moved and to see exactly what we tolerate in this country 3,500 times a day and over 70 million since 1973, keep your eyes open. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. 
go. You tell me that's not a human being. Who's going to interpose themselves on behalf of these children? Who's going to interpose themselves on behalf of Teen Challenge that's being challenged every day to take Christ out of their program? Where are the Christians today? We're flowing in the river just to get along. And God says, no, we're more than conquerors. We must do this in our lifetime. Stop the slide, please. Stop. Thank you. This is what we're about. We bring life. I'll tell you what. To show that, there's a number of you who aren't going to come back next week. And pastors are scared to death to do that because we worship at the idol of keeping butts in the seat. And I'm not here to blow sunshine your way. We have a commandment to cultivate the ground and throw the seed. And everyone gets a right to have roots on the earth and know the Lord. And you've been given it. It's time for a 160, 30-fold return. Start feeding the earth, plow the ground, and scatter the seed. Because this is the byproduct. Transform lives. Families that are healed. It's not a game. It's what we're called to, and it's what God wants. May the Lord, by his power, be tender and speak this to your heart. And may we be used to the Lord to transform, especially right here in our Conejo Valley. Let's pray. Lord, we have had a roller coaster today of emotion, but we have seen the power of the living God. And we've come face to face with what it is you call us to do. And Lord, we just, we just want to go without issue, and we just don't want to be troubled. We're choked out by the cares of the world and the concerns, and we're pulled in two directions. One is, I just don't want to be bothered with it, and another is, I'm convicted by it. Lord, give us a steadfast heart to interpose ourselves on behalf of those who are being led to the slaughter. Lord, where are the men and women today who are willing to do what's necessary to stop this evil on the earth? Spirit of living God, in a way in which only you can, and I've probably failed to do, I pray by your tenderness that you would speak this deeply into every heart present. I don't seek... I don't seek to condemn, Lord. You know my heart. But I do seek to inspire. And so, Lord, would you do that? Holy Spirit, would you minister? And I pray, God, that you would empower that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Thank you for the men and women who are so committed to honoring you and seeing your commandments on this earth. Let us see thy kingdom come, thy will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Lord, bless your people. Comfort them, I pray, and encourage them and empower them by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen.